Hi, and welcome to the second podcast of Maine Cannabis with Meredith and Anne Marie. I'm Meredith. And I'm Anne Marie. And we're co owners of Vetted Cannabis here in Sanford, Maine. And we're elated at the response we received from all of you to our first podcast. The cannabis industry is really growing here in Maine and in the across the states of this great country of ours, especially as we continue mm. to recover from the coronavirus pandemic. It's been a long haul for everyone, and we feel that our industry has an important role to play in comforting and healing people as we slowly but surely return to something resembling normal life. It's difficult but not impossible to define the word normal anymore. But we're all going to keep forging ahead to create a bright future, and we passionately believe that cannabis is going to play an important role in that regard. Definitely. Well, with that much said, let's get on with our second podcast, which features some really amazing people in our industry. But before we begin, please do check us out in Maine Women's Magazine. We were featured here. It gives you a little background about Vetted, where we came from, what we're doing, what we're all about. January edition, page 56, Vetted Cannabis. And we certainly enjoy catering to the veteran servicemen and women. So Maine Cannabis Podcast welcomes Steve Austin, CPA of Austin and Associates of Auburn, Maine, with us today to talk about bookkeeping and accounting in the cannabis industry. And Steve, um, we welcome you and we're so eager to hear your messaging today, but uh, the emphasis I hope you'll bring is one of, this is a cash industry, which is very hard to maneuver when people are um, trying to transact everything electronically. And that's number one. And then number two, uh, safety, the safety of those of us in the business for risk of theft and, and break-ins. And then lastly, certainly when we do have bookkeeping, uh, we want to be properly situated for audits by way of, um, you know, compliance with the IRS in all forms, both federally and state. So welcome, Steve Austin. Well, hello, Anne-Marie. Hi. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, that's a lot to uh, throw out to start with, but... Uh, what I've noticed is not just in the cannabis industry, but overall bookkeeping and accounting seem to be at the bottom of the pile as far as people's priorities. Agree, um, agree. Yep. Uh, people tend to do what they do in business, uh, what they do well, and uh, worry about the, bookkeeping the, detail, at the, end. the details later. So Correct. from my perspective, obviously it's very important uh, to get it done right get it done early, get set up with a bookkeeping system, somebody knows how to use it, uh, so you have some base um, you know, to work with. To The bookkeeping goes to the accountant or the CPA who then prepares uh, the tax returns. So it makes sense. I mean, it's your wheelhouse that you'd see bookkeeping as a priority, and the rest of us maybe not so much. But tell us, Steve, how did you get into the cannabis industry? What, what makes you uh, maybe a subject matter expert for us to, to listen further from, you know, well, I, I wouldn't claim to be an expert by any stretch, but I have been in, involved in the cannabis industry for about 10 years. Wow. Which is probably the, uh, the beginning back of what I call the Wild West uh, yes. days. I, I came into two fairly large uh, cannabis clients uh, through referrals from lifetime friends that mm -hmm. I grew up with. Mm -hmm. uh, they were involved, they were getting the medicine, and then they... Uh, told these owners that uh, they knew me and they thought that I might be able to help them out. So I started out with not knowing anything about the cannabis uh, tax uh, situation, uh, and I ended up with two big clients right out of the gate. So I said, well, I need some education, and 
I spent time going out to the West in California to some seminars because obviously the, the industry ahead. was... Uh, Originated out there. Well, the it was, they were much farther along, mm-hmm. and I, I met some... Uh, CPAs and tax attorneys out there that uh, were uh, had been in it a long time and learned from them and, um, you know, kind of went from there. And uh, it's been a very interesting ride. So you, 10 years of learning about the tax code and how it continues to change because still, even still, um, you know, the laws are... Uh, so slow in, in descheduling cannabis. It's federally illegal, yet states it's permissible and it's legal. So dancing through those tax codes, I can't imagine what you have to do. But Steve, what, do you, what are the lessons learned that we could bring to a small business owner today in the cannabis industry in the state of Maine? Well, as I said before, the best thing is to get organized early and get your record keeping set up so you can track your sales, your expenses. Uh, I have a lot of people come to me and I say, have you filed sales tax returns uh, since you've been in business? And they say, what's that? Uh, So again, preparation is the key uh, and it's a very important part of any business. So I'd say that's the first thing is to get a good bookkeeper, uh, find a, try to find an accountant that uh, has some experience in, in the business, uh, and then just keep track of things uh, on, a daily, on a daily basis. Now, the state of Maine has endorsed this metric. Um, it's a software program system that's a seed-to-sale tracking system that mm-hmm. we're all going to have to embrace. And then also, um, so that's a whole nother... Um, a realm of information that we need to learn about, the tax code and how it applies to us. I mean, as I understand it, you need 1099s. What What, what is a 1099 for certain people? And is 1099s are supposed to be issued uh, to non-corporate uh, vendors, uh, say a grower that uh, is not incorporated. If you pay them over $600 in a year, you're supposed to issue a 1099, which right. is a version of... Uh, reporting the income that you pay to them. So, for example, if I were a small business, which we are, and we have an electrician come in, we would have to issue a 1099 for that electrician that provided services to us if we paid out? Well, most businesses are corporations. I see. And you don't have to issue 1099s to corporations. Ah. So that's the big key. Um, People aren't as uh, good about filing the 1099s as they they should be. Uh, There are penalties for not doing it. on a scale of one to ten, as far as everything you need to deal with, uh, low? I wouldn't say low, but I'd give it a six or a seven. But the biggest issue you find in cannabis, uh, especially in the tax side, is the called two eighty e section of the Internal Revenue Code, right. which um, doesn't allow you to take all your tax deductions ah. um, as normal businesses would. So it's uh, quite complicated um, how to do this. Uh, you anything to do with trafficking, which means sales, uh, is technically not deductible. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just have to look at the big ex- the big issues are normally payroll. So if you have a business that has say a retail shop and a grow, uh, the retail employees technically are not supposed to be able to uh, their wages uh, are not supposed to be deducted. Um, but say if they do um, 
other things other than say being a bud tender say uh, say they do some preparation Packaging. and things then you can split their payroll uh, so you really need to get down through the whole each one of your individual uh, employees figure out which what's what uh, and then a- apply that percentages to them the next big thing is is occupancy which is rent utilities and that sort of thing so say if you again you have a uh, a retail shop uh, that takes up about 25 percent of your building and your grow uh, it takes up 75 percent then basically you can deduct 75 percent of your occupancy costs because it goes towards the cultivation and the cost of sales uh, and the retail side, again, supposedly is not uh, not supposed to be deducted because it's retailed and called trafficking by uh, by Two, the by 280. The, yeah, that's where the 280 comes in. Okay. So those are the big areas you have to concentrate on. Things like advertising normally aren't deductible because it's purely to, to generate sales. And a lot of things there's gray area. Um, say the internet. Say some travel. Uh, th- uh, so there's different things that you have to again look at each expense individually and decide more what you can reason, do. More reason to and have a special. It's just, that's where the whole 288 game is played uh, is on the expense side of things, and it can be quite expensive uh, when you say you have a half a million dollars of expenses uh, and you lose a hundred thousand of them. That drops right to your bottom line, and you pay extra tax on a hundred grand that any other business wouldn't have to pay. I so see. I suspect at some point 280 will go away. Um, it, the only reason it is is because cannabis is still schedule one. Federally illegal. Yeah, and once uh, they drops down as two, uh, which God knows it should be, the 280 theoretically should, should go, go away. away, but the IRS and Congress look at it as a, uh, a great way to make money I see. in a huge growing business. Right. So uh, they're not uh, on the fast track t- to get rid of 280. Steve Austin, CPA, certified public accountant. He's he's vetted cannabis CPA. He's our accountant. Um, also from Austin and Associates of Auburn, Maine, we thank Steve for discussing the cannabis industry today with us mm-hmm. and taxation and how to prevent IRS auditing. So, Steve, we say farewell, and we thank you for all your uh, information you shared today. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Hey, it's Maine Cannabis Podcast welcoming Jeffrey Sloat of Highwire Hydroponics of Raymond, Maine, with us today. And, Thanks. Um, Thanks for having me. Oh, delighted to have you. Um, so, Jeff, what we know of you, what little we know of you, um, is you are a Maine resident. Um, you've been a cannabis grower for some years, and now you're really um, focusing your attention in hydroponics, and now you're really a, a chemical-based expert and would love to hear a little bit about that. But um, tell us, uh, you know, about yourself. Well, I have been a Maine resident my whole life, 36 years, and I've been on my journey in the marijuana field for the last 10 years, and it's taken me to... Hydro shops big and grows big and small, and it's been a great learning experience. But now I'm at High Wire Hydroponics in Raymond, Maine, and I'm the senior accounts manager there. And one thing that we definitely learned the most about is plant nutrients and what helps the plants grow, and how, as a hobby grower or a dispensary grower or a caregiver level grower, how can I best use the tools to make these plants uh, healthy and successful. Excellent. So I'm going to start off with a question. 
Um, what's the definition of hydroponics? What does that mean? Oh, man. Hydroponics is a very, very um, big term to break down because there's so many different ways we can use hydroponics in the grow room. Deep water culture, um, flood and drain tables, um, even just your basic kind of drip system can be used in a hydroponic grow. And, you know, um, again, this technology and this industry keeps pushing that stuff forward. So we have so many tools to um, automate and just create grow environments so these plants can get these nutrients and get these. It's mostly um, it's, it's, it's so fun to work with these uh, tools that we're kind of putting forth. But um, hydroponics in kind of like. You know, a, a broad term is just feeding these plants and getting nutrients to them um, automated and yeah. making sure um, the plant grows in a soilless median. Ah, soilless. And, and so it can be, soilless can be water, it can be coconut. Ah. You know, there's tons of medians that we can use as a tool in the grow room. I see. So as a, a cannabis grower in, out in the state of Maine, um, one does want to optimize the growth cycle, no mm -hmm. doubt about it yeah. and minimize pest damage and also to you know shrink the timeline whatever we can do to to, mm -hmm. to ease workload man hours of work as well as speed yeah. the the time that product that medicine can be in the hands of the patient is right. what we're all striving to learn yeah. so tell us about that oh there's so much we can do to like you said optimize those plants in that time because it takes a long time to grow these plants a healthy mm. plant taking over three months to really grow how as i grow and a farmer can make make that the process quicker so that's the stuff we're doing with the hydroponics and the coconut is one that used the coconut husk is used throughout this industry right now it's a very popular way to get nutrients to the plants quicker because in coconut you can allow it to break down quicker it becomes bioavailable much faster yeah. and those nutrients just uh, get uptaken by those plants wow. in a very rapid rate you know what when you talk about cocoa it makes me immediately think about um <laughs> Growing and gardening, and that's yeah. a realm that's outside of my expertise. But I do have my daughter, who's fantastic, amazing. With Hi there, John Jemison. Uh, welcome to Maine Cannabis Podcast. Um, I'm Ian Marie, the nurse practitioner at Vetted, and I'm Meredith, the owner of Vetted. Yeah, and nurse as well. So, John, we're very um, intrigued to hear your story as we've learned that not only are you a teacher at a University of Maine, but also um, a member of the Maine board, uh, pesticide board, as well as a hemp grower, a hemp specialist. And um, we're eager to hear about the medicinal uses of hemp and um, the requirements, land space, and how much you yield, and et cetera. So let's, let's um, give you the, the floor and have you tell us about yourself, your name, your title, and your role within the state of Maine. All right. I, I, I am John Jemison, and I am uh, an extension, I'm an extension specialist. I do a lot of, I do do some teaching at the university, um, and I have worked in soil and water quality. I've worked with corn, I've worked with potatoes um, over the years, and I, I started here in, in 1991. So I've been at, the, at this, uh, working with the farming community for a long time. I started working with those, serving on the Board of Pesticide Control as the university's representative on it in 2002. And, um, so that's been kind of an interesting experience. And, um, and so I got interested in hemp because in 2014, 
um, the 2014 Farm Bill sort of cracked the door, if you would, to, uh, to begin to get farmers to look at hemp. And then in the 20, in 2016, the state decided to have develop their own program to allow people to grow hemp. And, and most everybody was in it for what I call resinous hemp production and, and not for grain or not for fiber. What did you say that term then, was? Resident? What What did you say? Resin, resinous. What they're like, they want to grow for the flower where the resin exists in the flower. Resin. And then they basically get those cannabinoids out of the flower and get it into oils and, and to, for, for medicinal purposes. And so I got interested in helping the state try to, to try to make the rules and um, and their 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 stuff basically, and then I my go I saw my role is to try to help farmers do it better, to uh, you know look at understanding the fertility needs of this crop, spacing, timing, and trying to figure out how to how to manage the the THC levels, which is really I think one of the hardest parts of this process is trying to figure out how can you get enough CBD in this plant to be valuable and not have, and not press the, the, the levels that are not, not allowed, which is now it's going to be 0.3% total THC. And I think, you know, I have my own opinions on that, but I think, I think that that level is going to make it really hard for growers here to, to be able to, to, do this profitably compared to other parts of the country. I just have a question, John, not to interrupt Mm -hmm. you back to the uh, pesticide certification. Now, would you recommend anybody within the community, whether they grow hemp or, you know, the medical marijuana caregiver right now to get pesticide uh, certified? Yes. I think there is actually a requirement that everybody get at least uh, have at least the, the core training of in, in pesticide certification because we you know every whether you use a uh, a synthes- synthetic pesticide or you're using um, organic um, controls you, you still need to understand everything and we know that in cannabis production that what's actually allowed is very very limited and the state has a flow chart that helps people that are working in in growing cannabis to, to understand what they can and can't use. And it's a little bit more, it's a little looser in hemp production because um, it is that it, it, there are now um, labels that have um, industrial hemp on them because um, they've been able to do the research necessary to figure out what could be left in them um, in terms of residues on the crop. But um, in terms of cannabis production, um, there are no federally um, um, legal pesticides that you can actually use. So the state has developed um, specific practices that if if a particular product can be used on any plant, um, it doesn't have any specific directions for use on one one plant or another plant, that, that gets you like in the door and then is it does it have can it be used on food crops and, and can it be used indoors and outdoors there's a, a flow chart that i would recommend everybody that grows cannabis look look at so they can understand what can be used and what can't be used 
Right. So Anne Marie, um, myself, and our head grower, they we've all been pesticide certified. We got that initial applicator right. license, and you know everything yep. from what I've interpreted from a glo- growth hormone like Clonex to you know spinosad is considered a pesticide. So I think there's a right. lot of miss, you know. Exceptions. Yeah, within the community, because people are like, oh, I don't use pesticide. I'm not getting that uh, license. I don't need to sit for that exam. And I'm like, well, you know, there's more to it than that. A pesticide really isn't just skull and crossbones. It's really, you know, a growth hormone right. or a pH water that you're applying to the plant. It's really whatever is altering the actual plant. And which leads me to my right. next question. You grow hemp, you know, and we cultivate, you know, medical marijuana within our building, which you're aware of. How would you compare those two, the hemp? and the medicinal marijuana that we, you know, cultivate in our building? Are they comparable? Are they not comparable? Like, say, if we were to do some research and look into studies, could we use those hemp studies to really gauge our fertilizer or our growing methods? Uh, So that's a very good question. Um, Indoors and outdoors are different different environments. But, but the plant is real similar because <laughs> it's the same plant, right? Right. And it's um, closer it's both, than a tomato. They're all cannabis sativa. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so um, what I think you can do is if you're concerned about a disease or an insect affecting your operation inside, that same disease and insect can, can, could potentially be a problem outside. Yeah. Outside, you have more natural predators so if I'm growing hemp in my backyard, in my garden, there's probably going to be um, more ladybugs available to eat aphids. And, and there's also a misconception that this plant doesn't need fertilizer. It doesn't have pests, and, it, and it, it's, it's a magic plant. And it may be a magic plant, but it still gets pests, and it still has lots of diseases. So we have to monitor those all the time. And, and the nice part about growing inside is that you can keep airflow and you can monitor how, how, you know, the moisture in your plants and things like that more easily than you can outside. If it rains for seven days in a row in, 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 in late September, you know, I'm going to have bud rot. And there's nothing I'm going to be able to do about it except cry. Yeah, <laughs> you right. know, it's just the way it is, right? And, and if you in frost and all sorts of things can affect an outdoor grow that you don't have to worry about inside. But in terms of fertility, we're still trying to figure out. And so what I'm going to do as a researcher this year, we've had bad, bad weed problems in, in, in growing hemp outside because you have to have wide spacing and you have to use a lot of plastic and a lot of people don't want to use plastic. So what we're going to do this year is look at some alternatives. We'll have black plastic as the standard, but we'll have some, some nifty cultivation tools that we're going to try. We're going to we have grown rye and we'll let that rye grow and then we're going to sickle bar mow it and have it lay and be a mulch and we'll no-till plant into that. And then the other way we were going to do is to roll the rye with a roller crimper and, and then plant into that. So those are our, our treatments that we're going to do in, in here in central Maine and, and down on the, in the mid coast area. Wow. Okay. And I've got another grant in to Sarah that we, if it gets funded, we would also do nitrogen response trials and nitrogen rotation response studies. response trials. Say that again. So nitrogen response uh, trials? Right. Because what we're wow. really trying to figure out is how much nitrogen is the right amount to, to make a happy crop that, um, as, as you know, 
when we grow cannabis, we tend to want to have a bunch of nitrogen up front and, and then you kind of like to go away, right? In flower, right? <laughs> Once it goes into flower, yep. right? And so we we need to know how much do we need to put on so that a- and, and, and sort of in timing, because I think if we put it up front and then and then and not too much and then when the plant goes into flower ramp up maybe you know, we have tricks at home that yeah we, you know we, you might want to add more phosphorus at that point or if, if you're irrigating you know you can you have some more controls over that mm-hmm. but we're trying to figure out roughly how much to guide the grower to to have the healthiest plant but also the highest uh, cannabinoid John, um, production that you can get. It's, it's very timely that you even bring this topic up. Um, just this week, Meredith um, was discussing, you know, the importance of tissue sampling. How can we have a tissue sampled um, in regards to finding out the fertilizer and how much is really being put into the plant? Because, you know, you can do runoffs, but really it's the tissue sample that will show us the exact calculation of right. nitrogen, phosphorus, you know, potassium. So I had talked to Nova Analytical, which is a lab um, that is is actually going to sit on the podcast shortly about doing a tissue sample and you know really honing in our fertilizer and how so this is awesome hearing that you got a grant to do something that I've been really excited to get involved with really so, honing in on so that. we'd love to hear about your results when those are yeah um, you know are concluded um, this would be a great you betcha that that and and hopefully we'll have two locations um, because we'll be working with our my colleague in, in Vermont if that actually gets funded um, I'm a little concerned right now because the market is is fairly swamped, and and it could be that the you know the panelists that are going to look at the grants will say, well, yes, it's needed, but it's maybe not as needed right now because yeah. the market's down. Maybe we're better to put our money over here. Right. But, but we will certainly do the weed management study this year, well, and and then because the other thing I think our growers really need to understand is the importance of crop rotation, mm. and when you um, out in the field, I think if you grow cannabis more than one year and three, you'll see some disease buildup in a particular field. Yeah, so what I want to try to look at is is what is what, what happens if you grow cannabis three years in a row, two years, or one year, and then and so it's such that in the last year the whole field is cannabis, and we'll look go in and, and evaluate all the plants uh, for disease incidents and see if we see a buildup in disease over time. Because I'm fairly confident just from what I've seen already that growers that are not rotating are, are running into problems mm-hmm. and um, with disease buildup. And we have white mold, we have botrytis, we have septoria leaf spot, we have all kinds of different diseases out there that can can impact cannabis. Wow. And um, um, so John, that's um, what we need to You sound be like on. a yeah. fascinating scientist in mm-hmm. in a, industry that needs so many more of you we need all the information and science and um, to help you know provide us with the optimal the best practices in growing so so it results in the cleanest safest medicine plant-based medicine that's you know we're we're striving for that john i want i want to know if you're familiar with um maine just recently proposed changes to the medicinal uh, cannabis law in fact it's an 81 page proposed change. Are you familiar with that? And if so, do you have any concerns about that? I, I, I do. Um, I did look at it. I actually wrote uh, my own comments to uh, OMP about the rules. I think um, I, 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 I do believe that the 
the small medical grower with a small caregiver operation is in it for, uh, you know, a reason. And that reason is to produce clean, high quality medicine. Mm -hmm. And my, my attitude when I wrote my comments was like, you know, we've got, we've been doing this for 20 years. You bring in somebody, uh, a consulting group from, from who's worked with other um, states that have legalized and you're trying to come in and, and, impose a system that I think is, is overly burdensome. Um, you know, if we, if there were consistent problems in the industry, then I would say, yes, we definitely needed to have these kinds of changes. But as far as I've seen, the only, we had one incident of a, a major pesticide violation on the pesticide board in my 20 years. And it was a large producer that was using unlicensed products with with that lacking proper um, personal protective equipment, no logging and in on what they were using or when they were using it, and and the board of pesticide control gave them the highest fine that we could give because we know that these people are no are better. in business to produce yeah. medicine for for compromised people. And, this was and, all public and knowledge, I, no? Like, was this wellness? This is all public yeah, knowledge. Yeah, this was yes, wellness I, connection, I would, correct, I believe? Right. Yeah. Yes, and and it is public knowledge. Um, and so, based on that, I think I have a personal opinion that that large-scale production, you know, it's, it's just harder to do it carefully and... When you're, when you, you know, it's like, it's like growing 3,000 acres of potatoes or growing 30 acres of potatoes. Can you, can you keep a better eye on 30 acres of potatoes than you can 3,000 acres of potatoes? Agreed. Probably. Yep. Yeah. Point well. You know, yeah. Yeah. and, um, and, it, and it's just being able to, to stay on it and, and recognize a problem sooner. And I think a small grower, I just, I just think they they, they have, grossly overreached with this and I hope you know it's, it's the same problem you know, I had the same issue with USDA and, and their hemp rules they overreached yeah. there's no reason in the world why we have to have 0.3 total THC in hemp in hemp residues um, I, I just yeah. it, there's there's no okay. scientific basis for it you can have up to 1% and if you have a 20% or 18% CBD content that one percent, you would never feel it because it, yeah. the THC can't react with the receptor right. because there's too much CBD around. Yep. And and it so it, it's like there's there's I don't know why this poor plant has <laughs> has had it's, such yeah, a it's, hard it's, time yeah. getting back to some semblance of acceptance because it is such a good plant. Yeah. And I am confident that that CBD and cannabinoid a regular intake of um, a CBD can really help overall health and overall wellness. Yeah. And it's, it's all part of that system. And, and I don't know, it just seems unfortunate to me because particularly when we compare growing hemp in the East, growing hemp out in Colorado, the cost differences, the cost of production differences are just tremendously different. Mm-hmm. We're much more expensive here because we need so much more labor and we have to dry everything and we have to, you know, we yeah. have to, yeah. We, you know, we have a much wider spacing, so we can't plant as densely. And out there, their disease problems are lower, and they can combine out in the field and leave it 
in the field and then bale it up and run it through a, a hammer mill and, yeah. and then they can extract the whole plant out there. Um, John, so we are at a competitive disadvantage, and it's really unfortunate. And yeah. I think that's what we're seeing in yeah. the industry. Yeah. I, I can hear your message about a plea to have their decision makers have more of an evidence-based uh, foundation for what they do and how they make these yes. changes. But um, hearing your passion for growing and your knowledge, and um, I can tell you, Meredith, and I see you as a subject matter expert. What's your message that you'd like to convey to main cannabis growers, you know, coming from your, your years of tenure as an instructor, academic field, research base yourself, um, having a hands-on experience growing hemp, um, knowing that it's an outside cultivation, I mean, essentially it's outside and the land mass requirements and the, the yield and then all the regulatory burdens that have been um, implied. What, what's your message to cannabis growers of Maine? Well, for, for the hemp growers, my message, I guess, right now would be um, stay small, learn, grow it, and learn, and um, but only only grow if you have a really, and I think the best, the best setups are people that are growing, processing, and selling. So they, they grow their own, they, they make their own oils, they make yeah. their own products, and then they sell those products. I think those have been the most successful businesses. We've had way, way, way too many people dive in, get big, and with this hope that somebody would come in and take that the product that they've grown and um, and, and buy it in mass. And, and we are, yep. you know, just traditionally we have a really hard time competing in that commoditized kind of system. So I think of a, a smaller all, right, all yep. the way through from start to finish is the better way to go. Like and you. likewise, I think I really, really hope that um, from the medical cannabis world that um, that we'll have a second look at, um, O&P will take a second look at, at what they're proposing and make it such yeah. that um, that we can, we can maintain these small businesses. I, I just Excellent. think that Excellent Again, message. Again, it's like you can't yep. compete, right? You right. just can't compete in a commoditized market, and, right. well, and we, it, it would be a real shame. I love your message. Um, both yeah. Meredith and I, um, just as a family-owned and operated, you know, we are that we are that entity that we hope to remain uh, focused and uh, be proud of our small, little, um, you know, microclimate that we have here. Um, <laughs> So, John Jemison, we're very grateful. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on and talking with us and sharing your knowledge. And always. We, we hope that um, we can invite you in the future once you come uh, down. Yeah. Yep, have your, your grant finding findings and you can share that with us we would be pleased and you'd be I'd helping so many others so with that we say main main cannabis um podcast says farewell to john jemison and we thank you very much sir thank you pleasure to be with you guys thank you Known throughout New England as the Harp Lady, Elizabeth Roth is one of Maine's most unique performers. Not only did she study the harp with such notables as Mildred Dilling and Deborah Henson Conant, but she also received a BA in vocal performance from Cleveland State University. So as you're about to learn, when she performs, she both sings and plays. The effect is incredibly beautiful. Quite talented. Elizabeth moved to Maine from New York City, where she studied at the drama at the American Music and Dance Academy, and she performed at several off-Broadway productions. 
Since moving here, though, she has played all over our fair state, including at the Maine State Music Theater and Portland Stage. Her motto is, have heart, will travel. Accompanying Elizabeth on trombone is George Weiss, a graduate of the prestigious Juilliard School in New York City. Cool. George is currently the executive director of Mountaintop Music Center in Conway, New Hampshire, a position he's held since 2011. From 2009 to 2011, George was the assistant conductor of the Southern Maine Symphony. Hmm. With the credentials that both Elizabeth and George have, you're probably thinking they're about to perform a piece of classical music. Oh no, well, instead of Beethoven or Mozart, you're going to be treated to an amazing performance of, yes, the Grateful Dead, the classic song Ripple. Let's see it, listen. <laughs> Oh, my God. 
And that beautiful performance brings our second podcast to a close. Once again, we want to thank all of our guests who are forging the way in the cannabis industry, not just here in Maine, but all across the nation. We're proud to be a part of this important industry and in a state that has truly been a trendsetter. And as I'm sure you know, more and more people are discovering the many benefits of living in Maine. And that is including us. We've moved here from Massachusetts mm. about 10 years ago. Maine is beautiful, diverse, and altogether extraordinary state. We're proud to be representing Maine in this podcast. For sure. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, we encourage you to keep in touch and keep sending us suggestions for topics you'd like to see us cover. If you have a favorite Maine-based band, a performance,